Are you ready to talk about the motion picture shows? I don't know. I'd probably have to say yeah on that one, question mark. Three hours for a movie? Welcome to Football's Day. I needed this thing to end quick, fast, and in a hurry. Is it though? Is it a good movie? Yes. I think so. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. I wish they had a recommendation for how much protein a 155-pound man with no fat would take. Is that from the office? <laughs> yeah, you don't remember that, Gabe? Yeah, but you yeah. think you're all about core. Core is the way to go <laughs> yeah. or whatever, right? I believe in the five pillars of Pilates. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. A lot of pillars. Oh, jeez. Oh, You'll have to forgive me. I am under the weather, so I'm not thinking clearly. It's okay. It's okay. But uh, anyways, how are you? Um, I'm under the weather. Otherwise. I'm not thinking clearly. <laughs> otherwise. How, how, how are things otherwise? <laughs> uh, oh, they're okay. I got a sick kid, sick wife, sick self. I don't know, a, lot of, a lot of sickness going on. Down with the sickness. Yeah. <laughs> Can you even do that right now with your scratchy voice? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sounds even better, actually. I know, right? <laughs> Maybe you should uh, get sick all the time so you can be a voice actor. Be like the disturbed guy. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard they play a really <laughs> poor live show. Really? Yeah. I've heard they're not good live. And I've heard that from multiple people, so it's not just a fluke. Oh, that's but I've never seen them, so I can't say that. Yeah, I haven't either. I watched a live performance of theirs, of Sound of Silence, and it was pretty cool. Yeah. But I wasn't there. It's true. But I don't know. I think it's hard. A lot of times, one of those things that bothers me about people with, with their phones at concerts and stuff is that there's this music blaring into the tiny microphone on your, on your stupid cell phone device. It's not going to pick up any amount of like good audio. So it's always so stupid that people try to post that shit on YouTube and think that it's amazing when it's really just gibberish well also i just never understand when people film things at concerts if you do a quick instagram video i'm talking like five ten seconds that's fine but when people are sitting trying to film an entire song i'm like you know you're never going to come back to that and you know that you're not going to post it it's like when people try to film fireworks during the fourth of july i'm like when when are you ever going to watch this video and be like oh yeah remember that firework remember this right it just drives me bananas and it also blocks your view when you're trying to you know watch a show oh, yeah 100 i mean especially when you're at a concert and you're like 20 feet away from the stage and you could literally just be immersed in this concert but instead you're looking at it through like a five inch screen so dumb so stupid i have very quick videos from some of the concerts i've been to that i will come back to just as a reminder but they're like 15 second clips i don't mm. film their entire set i don't do that no i don't leave your phone at home she Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about The Road to Perdition, which was in 2002, directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, you might know from American Beauty and Skyfall. And, <laughs> when and, the sky falls. <laughs> and you got the 1917 there and Jarhead. It's a terrible those movie. Of, <laughs> those of you that like the old Jarhead there. Uh, it was written uh, originally in the graphic novel by Max Allen Collins and Richard Pierce uh, Rayner uh, and adapted for the screen by David Self. So those of you that did not know this originated from a graphic novel, congratulations, you just watched a comic book movie. 
Whoa. It's always exciting. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. The cast includes Tom Hanks, Tyler Hoechlin, Paul Newman, Daniel Craig, Jude Law, Jennifer Jason Lee, Stanley Tucci, and uh, who is that? Kieran Hines. Kieran Hines. Who's Kieran Hines? Uh, he was he was in Game of Thrones. He played the the head of the wildlings. Remember, and he, in this movie, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you've seen That's him in a, bu- right. a bunch of other movies too. Yeah, one hundred percent. He yeah. was um, Finn something or other yeah. in this movie. Yeah, Finn McGovern. Finn McGovern. So he gets killed pretty quickly, but yeah. it, it's kind of like what starts everything. The biggest fire the North has ever seen, or whatever yeah. he says. Yeah, yeah. That's right. What's his name in Game of Thrones? Mad Mardigan? Uh, Man, no, <laughs> that's Willow. Mance, uh, Mance Raider. There you go. Yeah, the king, the king beyond the wall. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't make it in the show. Whoa! Spoiler. If you read the book, he's he's still around though. Oh. But uh, anyway, uh, critical reception relatively kind to this movie. A whopping eighty-one percent on the old tomato meter there. And um, some critics are a little bit all over the place. Some of them I don't really quite understand. Um, but what can you do? Stuart Clowans uh, from The Nation says, Very little of Road to Perdition lingers except for a feeling that you've been carried along. What? Yeah. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. Sounds... <laughs> Sounds nice. <laughs> so did he did he like it or did he not like it? It's <laughs> just along for the ride, I guess. Okay. Uh, Brian Gibson from View Weekly says, crisply, starchily self-conscious in its efforts to be a gangster epic, a pretty enough remote place with its rain and snow and fedoras and trench coats, but it's still a long way from Boardwalk Empire and Miller's Crossing. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Interesting ones to compare it to. Nell Minow from Common Sense Media. Uh, I think we tend to agree with with Nell pretty often. Uh, powerful, beautiful film. Okay for mature teens. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. a mature teen. You are. Uh, David Rolson from The Spool says, Casting Hanks as a heavy is no mistake here. And though the gamble is not entirely successful, it's a fine experiment. So there you have that. And then we'll get into that because Tom, Tom Hanks, uh, you know, for better or for worse, uh, some people might argue like this person that the casting was an interesting choice. You know, he calls him the heavy. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Um, it's actually a really good question. I mean, he makes some interesting choices. And I think that's a lot. This movie is a, a lot about it's just choices. Right. <laughs> when, it, when it all comes down to it. A lot of choices are made in this movie, and some are good, and some are the wrong ones to make. Should have been called the choice to perdition. Right? Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) Oh, man, I sound terrible. I apologize. Uh, The budget of this movie was a whopping $80 million. Holy smokes. That's a lot. Spent it all on on man-made snow. And uh, They ran out of freezer space, so they (laughs) buy the snow. Yep. Uh, gross United States and Canada at 104 million opening weekend, which was apparently July 14th. <laughs> my daddy's birthday, <laughs> or my birthday is on July 14th. <laughs> That's just so, the, the universe telling us something there. That it's the greatest movie of all time, and that so, Ca- Cameron Poe was able to take his daughter Casey to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for her birthday. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. Especially if she's a mature teen, which yeah, she's not at this point. <laughs> no, but uh, she's getting there. Um, but yeah, and if if you haven't listened to it yet, last week we did Con Air um, for Don't Be Crazy, and it was a lot of fun celebrating its twenty fifth anniversary. My goodness, that's, love it. It's uh, insane. Worldwide, this film, Road to Perdition, uh, made a whopping one hundred and eighty one million dollars. Pretty good. Go. Pretty good. You should. So it is available on Netflix, Amazon Prime, and uh, I believe Paramount Plus. But I watch it on Netflix for the easiest setup. Uh, Here's some trivia. To create a villain that would challenge the physically imposing Tom Hanks. Was he really physically imposing? I don't know. Director Sam Mendes wanted Jude Law to seem rodent-like. I can see that. He looks looks like a rat. He, He looks pretty disgusting. The movie is dedicated to cinematographer Conrad L. Hall. It was his final feature film. He would post homelessly. We still don't know how to say this. Post homelessly win the Oscar for best cinematography or cinematography for his work on the film. The movie is loosely based on actual events and a real enforcer for mobster John Looney, who was betrayed by him. Tom Hanks' son Chet Hanks has said this is his favorite performance and film of his dad. He is quoted as saying, in every one of my dad's films, I can see him. He's being himself. But that role is the farthest from his normal self out of any of the movies he's done. According to author Max Allen Collins, the Road to Perdition graphic novel was an American homage to the manga series Lone Wolf and Cub by Kazu Koiki. Collins quoted Koiki at the beginning of the book, you must choose a road for yourself. I think that's kind of the theme of the film. So there we go. That is. We were just talking about that. That's the and he is on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. I mean, it's it's true. I think when you watch this movie, you're just like, "Yep, people made some interesting choices." I'm not proud of you at the moment, right now. No, um, you can't. uh, You can't make the wrong choices there. Mm -mm. Live or die. Flip a coin. Make your choice. The sanctity of the coin. Let the coin decide. There you go. Two Face said it best. Tommy Lee Jones said it best. Yeah. So here's the synopsis. If you have not seen The Road to Perdition, the film begins and ends in 1931 during the Great Depression with a voiceover from Michael Sullivan Jr. Speaking about his father, Michael Sullivan Sr., who was orphaned and then raised by Irish mob boss John Rooney in Rock (laughs) Island. Irish wolves. (laughs) (laughs) By John Rooney in Rock Island, (laughs) Illinois. And he is now his most fearsome enforcer, unknown to his own children. Rooney has come to love Sullivan more than his own biological son, the rash and unpredictable James Bond. I mean, Connor. Haha. Speaking at his brother's wake, Rooney's associate, Finn McGovern, insinuates that Rooney is responsible for his brother's death. Rooney sends Connor and Sullivan to talk with McGovern, while 12-year-old Michael watches through a hole in the wall after hiding in the back of the family car. McGovern steadfastly denies the that uh, his brother stole anything from the mob before implying Connor was responsible and Connor shoots him on the spot before Sullivan shoots the other witnesses. Michael's shocked reaction gives him away and the boy is sworn to secrecy. The next day, Rooney visits the house to intimidate the boy and Michael soon begins acting out at school. At a meeting with mob associates, Rooney pointedly humiliates Connor after he half-heartedly apologizes for McGovern's murder. Then he sends Sullivan to collect a debt from a speakeasy owner, Tony Calvino. Connor, jealous and afraid, sends a letter with Sullivan for Calvino. Calvino reads it, then reaches for his revolver, but Sullivan kills both Calvino and his bodyguard. The letter reads, kill Sullivan and all debts are paid, and he rushes home. 
When he arrives, he discovers Connor has already murdered his wife, Annie, and their younger son, Peter, but not Michael, who had arrived home late from detention. Sullivan and Michael flee Rock Island and head to Chicago to meet Frank Needy. He offers to work for the Chicago outfit in exchange for permission to kill Connor, but Needy rejects the offer. Rooney, listening next door with Connor, reluctantly allows Needy to dispatch freelance killer Harlan McGuire, who doubles as a crime scene photographer, to kill Sullivan. Needy suggests Michael must be killed as well to prevent him seeking revenge in the future, but Rooney refuses. McGuire tracks Sullivan to a roadside diner. The two meet and have a seemingly casual conversation while Michael hides in the car. Intuiting the danger, Sullivan escapes the diner through the bathroom window and slashes McGuire's tires before driving away. Sullivan now plots to force the outfit to give up Connor by robbing the banks that hold his money. He teaches Michael to drive in order to become the getaway driver. Sullivan is impeded when the mob withdraws its money, so he visits Rooney's account accountant, Alexander Rance. Rance stalls Sullivan until McGuire enters with a shotgun, <laughs> killing Rance while Sullivan escapes with Rooney's ledgers. What's so funny? I was just thinking Rance refrigeration. No. <laughs> Alexander Rance. <laughs> Rance refrigeration. Instead of Rance, yeah. I will be uh, C- CEO. By end of day, I will be CEO of Bob Vance refrigeration. <laughs> Michael drives them to a farm because Sullivan was wounded, where a childless elderly couple helps him recover. Sullivan's bond with his son grows, and Michael comes to realize his father loves him. The ledgers reveal that Connor has been embezzling from his father for years, using the names of dead men, including McGovern. Believing Rooney will call the off the hit on him if he knows the truth, Sullivan gifts the couple a chunk of stolen cash and heads back to Chicago. Sullivan confronts, confronts Rooney at mass, learning Rooney is already... Rooney already knows about Connor and expects he will be killed, if not by Sullivan, then by Needy's men once Rooney is dead. He still refuses to give up his son and urges Sullivan to flee with Michael and ensure he becomes a better man than either of them. Later one night, cloaked by darkness and rain, Sullivan ambushes and kills Rooney's bodyguards with a Thompson machine gun before walking up to Rooney, who looks him in the eyes and says, I'm glad it's you, as Sullivan shoots him point-blank range. Having no further reasons to protect Connor now that Rooney is dead, Needy reveals Connor's location after Sullivan promises the feud ends with his death. Sullivan goes to the hotel where Connor is hiding and kills him in the bathtub. Sullivan takes his son to his Aunt Sarah's beach house in Perdition on the shore of Lake Michigan, where he is ambushed and shot by McGuire inside the house as Michael stands on the beach. As McGuire photographs the dying Sullivan, Michael appears and points a gun at McGuire, but cannot bring himself to pull the trigger. As McGuire beckons to Michael to give him the gun, Sullivan fatally shoots McGuire. Sullivan tells his son he knew he couldn't do it before dying in his arms. Michael says his father's fear was that he would follow the same road and that he has not held a gun since his father died. Michael drives the car back to the farm, saying he grew up there, and now when he asked if his father was a good man, he just tells them he was my father. That was a long synopsis. Dun, dun, dun. The yeah, road even... to perdition. It's only two it's... hours. Is it two hours? Yeah, it was only two hours. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel that long. It was like an hour and fifty-seven minutes. So mm-hmm. let's let's call it an hour and fifty-two because of <laughs> because of uh, credits and stuff. So really, not that long, honestly, but very long um, synopsis. Who it is okay though because I didn't write it. So Justin, when did you first see Road to Perdition, and what were your thoughts? My goodness, so I saw opening weekend, um, possibly on the Sunday, not on the fourteenth. It would have been the sixteenth, I suppose. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I remember not knowing at the time it was based on a graphic novel uh, that came uh, years later when I went down the rabbit hole of articles like movies you didn't know were based on comic books or something like that. And so 
um, more you know. And that was the first and only time I had seen it. There were times where it was on like HBO or something, and I would come and go in the middle of it. But yesterday was my fir- my first complete rewatch of Road to Perdition. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I haven't watched it in years. And I know we've talked about it before about doing it for this show. So I just figured now would be a good time. But I first saw it when it was on DVD. And I remember liking it. Um, but this viewing, I didn't really like it as much. I don't know what it was. I don't think I was captivated as much as I should have been, or I didn't think I was that impressed. And I like Sam Mendes a lot. It just, uh, it didn't really stick with me in the sense of these, these gangsters prohibition era films. I mean, I think untouchables is better than this movie in my opinion. Do you really? Yeah. I like untouchables. I like Kevin Costner. Hmm. So it's, that's an interesting movie too, but yeah, I think, well, I think untouchables is more of an action movie. Than it is I a could crime s- drama. Yeah, I guess that makes a little more sense too. And this is more of a, dr- a dramatic film, but I just, I kind of feel more like of the I, high octane action Zach. As well, that's we why I like from, Con Air, from Con Air, yeah. <laughs> and Over the Top. That's yeah. why I love the the, the beatneck action of sure. oh, I'm Smasher. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. I can see well, that. Ellie, Ellie, Kevin Costner stepping out of his little uh, his little gangster car and smiling as his hair's blowing in the wind as he's about to bust some gangster ass. And he's doing the hold back maneuver when he wants to fight <laughs> Al Capone. Love that. Well, but I mean, for this one. I think that I'm just kind of seeing the whole sins of our father sort of thing done in other films. And and it just didn't feel like it was something that was groundbreaking or new. But that's not to say it was a bad movie by any stretch. I just um, I wasn't as enamored as I thought I'd be. But you know who I who I do really like is that Mr. Tom Hanks there. He's his roles in Forrest Gump and cast cast I almost said cast away <laughs> in Forrest <laughs> in Forrest Gump and cast away Toy Story, Philadelphia and Big to name a few. It just, it just shows his vast range in acting talent. This role is slightly different with Tom playing a tough son of a bitch mob enforcer. What were your thoughts on his performance as a hitman? Additionally, is Tom Hanks one of the greatest actors of our generation? Who is he our generation? I don't know. I'm alive. He's alive. I'm calling it a generation. I never really understand when people say it. I'm just like, I mean, he's alive when I'm alive. So I'll just call it that. Right. I think yeah, he's probably more closer to like, our parents generation but i mean he's been act he's been an adult acting since you know we were born basically that's what i'm saying like big yeah. and stuff i mean i grew up with that movie and forrest gump was a huge part of my life so to me i'm like he's 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 big in my life so. yeah no that's that's fair um yeah you know it was it was interesting to see him in this role um only because uh, I was so used to, you know, you pointed out a lot. Like, obviously, there are some dramas that, you know, Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, best pick, you know, he won Best Actor two years in a row, uh, two very serious movies, um, 100% right behind you. But, I mean, he was always a comedy guy for me. I, I love his movies like... Um, the Burbs. The Burbs is one of my <laughs> favorites, dude. I, I freaking love that movie I so like Bruce much. Dern in that movie a lot. Yeah, Bruce Dern's great. <laughs> Yo, Rumsfeld! <laughs> oh my God, when he trips and falls off the roof, it's like one of my favorite parts. Um, but, you know, you mentioned Big, too. Um, I mean, my goodness, there's so many things that this man has done that just make me laugh. And so it was definitely weird seeing him in this role. Um, not that he's like a mean person. He's just... Uh, you know, a very cold person, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it would have been different if he was slapping his son around, you know, or if he was like a drunk or something. But he was very much a cool and collected 
uh, individual. And, you know, we never really saw him like uh, lash out at his, at his son. Yeah. He was telling him like, you know, if I tell you something, you just do it, you know, but he was just being like tough love. Like I'm doing all this to protect you. And I can't do that if you're not going to listen to me, you know, it was just a, a hard conversation, but um, it was definitely weird seeing this sort of side to Tom Hanks. And um, I mean, I, I was on board. I thought he, I thought he did great. Yeah, I, I it is it is definitely uh, different seeing somebody who's not playing a quote unquote heavy or a villain or a heel for all you '90s wrestling fans or just wrestling fans in general. Um, so it's it's weird to see that, and I think the line does get towed between him being an anti-hero. And, and and is he the protagonist or is he an antagonist? I mean, what are we watching here? But um, and we'll we'll discuss that in a bit. But seeing him out of his typecast roles, or not his typecast roles, but his typical roles is is different for sure. And even though he is like technically a bad person, he is trying to. He, Michael Junior is not a bad person, and he's trying to basically do everything he can to make sure that Michael Junior doesn't turn into him because he realizes inherently that he's bad. And that's the brilliance of Tom Hanks is he can really just uh, emote those 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 feelings on screen, and it just creates a visceral viewing experience. Um, I love, I absolutely love Tom Hanks, and I would wager Justin that I don't know if anyone's going to have a 10 year career like he had in the 90s. Let me list these movies to you and you tell me if you didn't like any of them. And and it's okay if you, they weren't your favorites, but if you didn't like any of them. All right. From 92 to 2002, going starting at the latest, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile, Castaway, Road to Perdition, he produced Band of Brothers too, and Catch Me If You Can. That is a ten year run. Did you mean? Did you say Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, I didn't hear that. Okay, yeah, that's crazy. Did he yeah. direct? Oh, I, I might have missed Saving Private. I'm pretty sure I, I put it in there, but yeah, he's Saving Private Ryan as well. Did he direct that thing you do? He directed that. Uh, thing, he right? did. Yeah, and he also uh, produced the from from Earth to the Moon sort of thing. But in ten years, he had all of these movies that are just top tier in, in my opinion and, and so many just amazing moments. And yeah, it's uh, it's, it's pretty, pretty remarkable from him. I mean, that's, that's Tom Hanks right there in a nutshell. And then he still continued to do good stuff after that. The lady killers wasn't that great, but then he had some follow-up stuff after that, that did pretty well. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> it's okay. I like the terminal a lot. He did the, in 2004, he did the polar express. Elvis has left the building, the terminal and the lady killers. And I really like the terminal a lot. Yeah, I saw. I went to a screening for that, um, and it had a different ending. In the terminal? Yeah. Oh, does he get arrested? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. It's just it's just two different endings. Hmm. It was like one where he like gets in a cab, and then another where he actually goes to the the place to get the autograph and meet the the musician that his dad likes or whatever. I don't know, but it was two different endings. Yeah, so. I just think that he's he's just one of those actors that. I mean, he has the clout and the star power to be when he's in a movie. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I got to watch this. He's also in my favorite SNL sketch, the David S. Pumpkins one. Oh, yeah. I think that's one of my favorites of all time. I like in the terminal one. he goes, you have two stamp, one red, one green. So yeah. chances are uh, 50, 50, And he goes, he goes, you want to get eat to bite? <laughs> yeah. Eat to bite, eat to bite, eat to bite, bite to eat, bite to yeah. eat. It's like, can Krakosha, that is sound like goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. That's and then he's like shaking the pills. He's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those ones, though. I mean, that's what I'm talking about is... You, 
I would never expect a role like that from Tom Hanks. And he's so funny in it. And that shows you his acting chops. Like you were talking about his comedic roles, um, his big and his his bachelor party and 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 the burbs and um, uh, money pit. Those movies where he's just really funny. And right. right. So I, I, I think mean, the terminals fantastic like that. Sure. And, and I think that goes back to what I was. I, I like to argue that comedians always do really well in, in dramatic roles. Just Absolutely. 100%. The timing that is involved with it. I think that that they can just sort of, you know, keep you along for the story. You know, it's all about that joke and, and the setup and all that and the delivery. And I think that that's where, you know, a comedian really has an opportunity to shine in dramatic role. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I mean, all, all of his stuff, you're right. You're talking Joe versus the Volcano, Turner and Hooch, the Burbs, all that stuff in the 80s. He was definitely um, doing as, as as a funny thing, like Splash. I remember watching Splash on the Disney Channel all the time for some reason. Yeah. I used to like really? that. Yeah, I like, I like Daryl Hannah. She's all tall and weird. But He's in Dragnet, too. He is. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> all the way from Anaheim, California. <laughs> oh, I saw at the drive-in. Of course you did. Mm-hmm. That's hot. Criminals are hot. They are. So speaking of actors, this movie is loaded with some A-plus talent. You got Jude Law, Paul Newman, and Daniel Craig, just to name a few. And they have all made their names in Hollywood as leading men in memorable and heroic roles. All three of those actors. Road to Perdition gives us an opportunity to see these typical, quote-unquote, good guys play villains. How did it work for you? Can you think of any other hero actors that have had some fantastic performances as a villain? Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, you know, Daniel Craig, I didn't even know who he was when uh, Casino Royale came out. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, he's an asshole in Tomb Raider. And I forgot that he was even in. He was in Tomb Raider, yeah. I forgot that he was even in Road to Perdition until, like, Dave told me later. He's like, I'm like, who is he in that? He's like, he's the asshole that dies in the bathtub. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> well, and that plays into a later question I have, too, about did you recognize this person in this role who then became way bigger later on? Sort of yeah. Thing. But yeah, he's a, he's a good example of that because you're absolutely right. You're like, oh, my God, it's Daniel Craig. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, so I'm sorry, back to the question, people, other hero actors that have had some fantastic performances as a villain, right? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I would say, um, like Frank Langella, you know, he's always like sort of a bossy type character, but he got to be Skeletor in Masters of the Universe. Uh, not necessarily a hero role, like known for heroic roles or anything, but he was always like, you know, if he's in the movie, then he's the president or he's like the CEO, you know, some sort of big wig type of person. And then for him to put on that makeup and be skeletal, I thought was pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, Sam Neill coming from fucking Jurassic Park to, to Dr. Weir in Event Horizon. That's a good one. I'm yeah. like, the fuck is this crazy guy? <laughs> We're supposed to trust you, Dr. Grant. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's all lies and deceit. Um, I know a lot of people probably put like Heath Ledger in there for Joker. Um, that's probably be a pretty easy one. Uh, but I, I would say like fucking Mark Hamill, right? Going from Luke Skywalker to fucking the Joker in Batman, the animated series. That's a good point. Um, and he's a lot of people's Joker for that matter. Um, Tom Cruise as Les Grossman in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> Who's what the key grip? <laughs> fucking asshole. He is I want you to movie. punch him in the face really fucking hard. <laughs> Yeah, take two steps back and fuck your Or punch him in the face. stomach, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He's insane in that movie, and he's never a bad guy, ever. We don't negotiate uh, with terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Hannibal Lecter. But one. he's been... Well, yeah, I guess I mean, I guess he typically bad was. guy role is, is basically... Hannibal. Yeah. I feel like he hasn't been a bad guy another time, but I think you're absolutely right. He's more of a dramatic. I don't think he was a bad guy prior to 1990 or whatever yeah. the hell that was, 89, whenever the hell that movie came out. But Yeah, I think you're right. 
Um, and then I would say Al Pacino as a big boy Caprice in Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was the godfather. And, and you could say, yes, in the grand scheme of things, he is a villain in those movies. But he didn't he wasn't like a maniacal, you know, evil man or anything like that. Um, but I think big boy Caprice is one of my favorite Al Pacino roles. And, and that's from Dick Tracy. I think he's so fucking funny in that. And he's got this crazy like caricature makeup <laughs> yeah. on. He's got this, this big cool hump, mustache. Like he's got the little mustache. <laughs> he's got the Quasimodo like hump thing going on in his back. He's just a really weird looking dude. And uh, I think it works really well. When do we eat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's that's my list and I'm sticking to it. Uh, one of that I kind of thought about he has played a villain a few other, a couple other times, but Christian Bale, like an American psycho um, for the most part, Bale was a good guy in, in most of his films, but yeah, American psycho, clearly the villain, even yeah, though you're following him, it. I have him as uh, an answer later on. Oh, okay. Uh, Denzel Washington and training day. You know, you have an actor who is one of the best uh, ever and, and he only plays like father figures or heroes or whatever, but he's a, he's a straight up villain in training day and he's pretty scary in that one. And it, it paid off really well. I thought he did a good job with that. I know you're not super keen on training day, right? Uh, I mean, I, I watch it all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's, I don't know why I'm always drawn to, it's one of those movies. It's like my, um, it's like interstellar, what, like interstellar and, and fucking that Prometheus. Just, yeah. It's on my list of movies that I watch pretty regularly and I don't quite know why. It's just mm-hmm. like, like I feel like Denzel Washington has had am- amazing roles throughout his entire career. And I thought it was interesting that this is the one that he got him, you know, best actor. Kind of thing. Right. I don't know. Um, but it is it is really good. And it's very intense. It is hard to watch. Um, my boy Scott Glenn's in it. And I like seeing that guy show up in movies every like once every 10 years or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, fucking Scott Glenn. I love that guy. <laughs> He's... So old. <laughs> uh, love Scott Glenn. Though. He's cool. Yeah. So I um another uh, Ethan Hawke movie. <laughs> Scott Glenn has been yeah he's been in a lot of movies, a lot of eighties movies. Um, Tom Cruise also like you said, but not less Grossman uh, in Collateral. You know he plays the villain in Collateral. I thought that that was an interesting departure from his typical you know red light green light stuff. Yeah, um, that's Leo true. Di- I forgot about that one. Leo DiCaprio and Django. Uh, you know, Calvin Candy. Right. He is one of the most despicable human beings in the world. In that he's movie. terrible in that movie. And he's Leo is just such a phenomenal actor that he just he terrifies me once he actually figures out when he brings out the skull. Oh, at, I hate that. Yeah. And, and they just start, start, start discussing it. And he, he actually cuts his hand on the table for real and rubs his blood on Hildy's face. Ugh. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I know he's he's terrifying in that movie. But, <laughs> he really is, dude. Him and yeah. um Samuel Jackson's character are just two of the worst in that movie, man. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I don't know, Dan. And then, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why is you scared me? <laughs> oh, I don't like that. Because <laughs> you're scary. <laughs> yeah. Now back up. Jeez. Make, you make the Lord very nervous. Very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Were you drinking one of my cokes? <laughs> Oh, um okay so <laughs> back. Okay, okay whatever just drink it. <laughs> peppermint schnapps 
Oh boy. Okay. So oh, little Nikki is no so more good. little Nikki quotes. Back to Road to Perdition that doesn't have Adam Sandler in it. The plot of the film derives from the moment that Michael's curiosity gets the best of him and he sees his father and Connor Rooney execute Finn McGovern. This, understandably, shocks Michael and affects the way he perceives that his father is moving forward. Have you ever discovered your parents doing something that you didn't understand at first only to realize in later life what happened? Uh, I have. Uh, in fact, there was a, a story that I shared on this podcast uh, a while ago. Uh, it was about when my dad, uh, he was in the garage. Like me and my dad were just home alone for the weekend, you know, just like a bachelor weekend. I was I was pretty young. I think I was like somewhere in the neighborhood of eight years old. And uh, we were watching 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea and or is it 20,000 Leagues? Maybe 20. I think it's 20,000 Leagues. Yeah, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. When I was a kid, they only went. Down, they could only go down ten thousand leagues. Uh, yeah, so twenty thousand leagues. Your Pac-Man room. video games. <laughs> we were watching that, and it cut the commercial. And he went out into the garage, and and uh, it was coming back on. And so I went out to go tell him, and I saw him drinking out of a, a paper bag, and I, I knew it was wrong. I didn't quite know necessarily like what was going on, other than he was drinking something I assumed was alcohol. But I mean, I was eight, you know, and so. It was definitely weird, and I remember just being off the whole rest of the night because I didn't quite know what to make of that, and I knew that if he was keeping it a secret, then it was probably wrong, um, and that's that's really like sort of my my Michael Jr. moment was when I, I saw my dad in a different light, and it was uh, you know scary and disappointing all at the same time. Yeah, mine was similar-esque to that. Um, my dad passed away when I was 18, so I didn't have a lot of uh, time with my father because my mind, obviously, your your childhood mind develops different than your adult mind. And so I remember bits and pieces and, uh, and spotted memories. But I do remember one time, and this is really bad, but my dad was an alcoholic, uh, and, and so he his favorite bar was in our a neighboring town next to us. And it was cool. We'd always go there. My dad owned a construction company, and we'd go there like you know, with them after work sometimes and get chicken strips and fries. And it was always fun because like the people, the bar flies knew us and it was also a restaurant, but you know, they knew us and it just was something cool to do because we got free fries and chicken strips like in Shirley Temples. I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Coming off the top at this bar here? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, man. I was like extra maraschino cherries. I'm not driving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we... I remember one time specifically my sister and I were riding with our dad and he had to pull over and he just started puking out of his car and we were laughing the entire time. Well, later in life, I I clicked like a light bulb and like, oh, my dad was drunk when he was driving us. Not the not not his greatest moment. So, um, yeah, it was uh, stuff like that. And then my dad was a big perv, kind of like me at times. So (laughs) he had he had a lot of like funny sex joke stuff that his uh, co-workers would give him for birthdays. Like I remember when he turned 40, you know, over the hill, he got like just an inflatable sheep sex toy. Obviously it's a, a gag gift, but like all these funny things that I'm like, what is that? And then later on, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I know what that is. And uh, yeah, I'd see that kind of stuff. I would, I'd see like topless magazines, motorcycle magazines that have like topless girls in them. And I'm like, Whoa, this is awesome. <laughs> all that kind of stuff but i definitely it was a it was a world i didn't understand my dad and his friends and what they'd be saying or doing uh and and so i kind of had to piece that together like a a detective 
without him around, I had to piece that together in later life and be like, that's what that meant. Or that's what that was for. I get it. Or yeah, that's when my dad was smoking weed or something like that. You know, that's why he you was were coughing. In the parking lot earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where how I know, I know you. <laughs> so I can totally see how Michael, how that would shake him, especially with his curiosity. He's here's a kid who's been in his mind, neglected by his father. Um, and even admittedly so by Michael senior, well, let's call him Sullivan, but by Sullivan, because he said, I don't want you to turn out to be like me, but you know, Michael jr. Didn't know that. And so the entire time he just, he's, he's feigning for his affection and he, he wants to see what he actually does. Cause his little brother is curious too. And sure as shit, he gets to see him kill people. I mean, that would be pretty shocking. So it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, Justin, you have a very lovely ear. You like to listen to scores, to music, and you always pick up on on the meanings behind them. And Thomas, <laughs> do I? <laughs> you always do. You're fantastic. Thomas Newman composed this film's score. His use of piano and strings is a hallmark in his uh, other works like Wally, 1917, and Skyfall. And Road to Perdition, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Road to Perdition is no anomaly. But how did the score feel to you for a movie of this violent subject matter? Specifically, I'm looking at the rain scene at the end when Michael kills John and his henchmen in the rain. The piano play is a soft melody instead of the sounds of of the Tommy gun firing. I I, I felt weird. The scene just felt off to me for some reason. It was shot really well. But without the bullets, it just seemed different. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what to think about it. And sure. maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe that's just the way it is, you know. But is this composition used to discuss the theme of violence? Like, what do you think it means? So I understand what you're saying. But I remember when I watched this in the theater, it had a real tremendous impact on me. Because we've seen a thousand times where there's just a gun shootout and all you hear is just, Pew, you know, pew, pew. bullets being rattled <laughs> off right yeah. whereas this was something that was a, a lot different it was more, it was sad it was like the end of an era for him where this was all that he knew this was the life that he had chosen he had grown up with this man and and it was this really melancholy music playing and and it was basically like a, a sadness like he was he was basically uh in in a way ending his life too in that you know, all, everything that he'd known about his life and, and what he'd been working for was all coming to an end. And the song is actually called Ghosts. And which is interesting is that once the shootout is over uh, and it pans up to the buildings up above and people like the looky-loos, the onlookers, they're in their their freaking, you know, white robes, that the their nightgowns that they wore in the in the 1930s, those those full-blown Jacob Marley <laughs> type <laughs> ghost outfits. Who goes there? Yeah. They're in those crazy nightgowns and you know they're looking up above. And and it kind they kind of look like ghosts, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, looking down at this violence. And and the music stops when it's time for Paul Newman to to take the bullets. And you hear them obviously rattle off when he kills. Um, Paul Newman, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I thought I personally, I thought it was fitting. I, I thought it made sense. Um, and, and the music in general, it, it really has like this classical vibe to it. And this is sort of this, this new era of, 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 of America, right? Like during prohibition and during the great depression and um, you know, like um, 
cars are new and there's these new, uh, you go, when I go to Chicago and there's these big old buildings and, you know, just down the street, there's fucking farmland and, and horse and buggy type stuff, you know? So it was yeah. like this whole weird transition of this classical era of, of America. And it, it just kind of stuck with me for some reason. I don't know. I, to me, I thought it made sense. It, to me, it would also be weird to put any other kind of music to it. I thought it was very fitting. Yeah, and I think that's where I, I that makes a lot of sense, and and that clarifies it quite a bit actually. The way I was viewing it was, I'm looking at this where he's this you know reputation precedes himself type of guy, almost like a John Wick esque story. I understand this movie came out before that, but that's kind of what I'm looking at, and so there's so much emphasis on this on this Thompson machine gun that he has. It's it's basically like his his signature piece, and so. I was I was expecting it to be kind of like a shootout in the rain and it seemed anticlimactic. And at first when I watched it or not at first, but when I watched it recently, I was just kind of thinking, well, that's kind of lame. But that actually makes a lot more sense because you're right. It is the the end of an era. He's he's ridding of his surrogate father um, who I think that maybe even Michael. Well, Michael was reluctant to, to do it because he's like, you're giving me no choice here. I, I need to avenge my family, but you're not willing to to out your own son. So it was tough. And and it was a very poignant moment when when uh, John says, I'm glad it's you, you know, who has to do it, because I think he knows he's a dead man either way. But Paul Newman was a fantastic actor. And that scene was was done really, really well. And you see. I'm glad they didn't show like shot reverse shot of, of Paul Newman dying. It's just from Sullivan's view and he just unleashes, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that makes a lot more sense now that we've discussed it. But I think I just f- felt kind of huh, with it. And, and you I felt w- cheated out of your high octane thriller <laughs> <Yeah>. violence. <laughs> I needed I needed some explosions in the boneyard with some <laughs> propane tanks and, and a bulldozer shield. Yeah. And John Cusack. So meet car, meet, meet, car. meet, meet, ca- meet cars, <laughs> meet, meet cars. cars. <laughs> so that scene that we're talking about with the rain, really, really, really well done. It was beautifully shot by famous cinematographer Conrad Hall. From one legend to another, Paul Newman's send off in this movie is a very is very greatly executed. Like, however, like I just said, it did feel slightly off. We I know we just clarified that a little bit, but. Even though John ordered a hit and wouldn't give up his son, he never really felt evil enough to warrant a death. Am I wrong? Help me. Like, like, did John need to die by him? Uh, well, I, I think the only reason why, I mean, maybe the only is the wrong word, but they have the conversation before the shootout about uh, once you're gone, your son's dead anyway. You know, he's a, he's a dead man. They're not going to, he's too much of a liability um, they they are not going to let him live. They being the mob, like Capone and and on down. Um, it is not in the cards for Connor to to make it through this. So it's literally just um, delaying the inevitable. So maybe even in in Sullivan's mind, he thinks that if if I kill him now, at least his son Connor won't make it. You know, through the night. You know, he, he's going to go down like a sweet muffin regardless. And now with with him out of the picture, they can let um, Sullivan kill him just so there's no bad blood between them. You know what I mean? Because it would look bad on on them if they got to kill their own guy. So fair I, enough. I, I think it's one of those ends justify the means type. of things. OK, yeah, that makes sense. Then I can see that. And I mean, we kind of answered that, too, in the previous question. So that works. But um, I would like to talk about Conrad Hall a little bit. 
this legend sure. this legendary cinematographer gave us the beauty in his works uh the likes of in cold blood butch cassidy and the sundance kid searching for bobby fisher and american beauty the way he framed his scenes was masterclass, in my opinion what moments throughout all of his films stuck out for you from his camera work uh sure so there's a couple um i mean you mentioned some of the good ones here so i mean i can i can go down that road uh, like Cool Hand Luke, when at the beginning, when they're just working in the fields, and then like the that warden guy or the the uh, taskmaster dude's like, "What we have here is a failure to communicate." You know, I, I love that whole scene. I think that's just nuts, and it's you can tell this is a horrible place to be. Uh, Butch Cassidy's one of my favorite cowboy movies. Uh, it's so much fun, and and you're with the bad guys. You know, they're they're robbers and. And they're off on their own little adventures. And, and when they're out in the wilderness, it's a lot of fun. And the last shot of, of them just being surrounded uh, in their little hut. And then they got to they gotta run out. And then the freeze frame, like you're like, well, do they make it? Are they going to die? <laughs> like we're not, It's like a Thelma and Louise kind of moment, you know, where, where uh, they're, they're probably okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, I like how that was just framed up. They run out and they're shooting guns blazing. And that's just like on, on a honest to goodness, John Bon Jovi, you know, shot down in a blaze of glory. I, I freaking love that. And and particularly with, um, you know, American Beauty is one of those ones where, uh, you know, it, you we were talking about prior to the show. It was also beautifully shot. And uh, there's that scene at the dinner table, right, where it has the three of them framed up. And that is a nod, of course, to Ordinary People, which I believe was shot by John Bailey. Um but that is a really cool shot where it's sort of the the mom and dad at the heads of the table and then the child in the middle. And, you know, we can all kind of relate to that. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a really cool shot. Obviously, it was an ordinary people first, but it still looks really cool um, in American Beauty. And then, of course, in um, Road to Perdition, there's so many awesome shots in this movie, like yeah. one after another. Even at the beginning, uh, there's a lot of extras in this movie. And you don't think that because it's mostly just – Tom Hanks and his son for the bulk of the story. But there's so many shots in this movie where there's just a billion people on screen. And um, you kind of forget that. And like when he's going against the traffic, when he's trying to sell papers, um, uh, Mike Jr., that is. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool. Um, even at the at the funeral, when um, when Finn McGovern or whatever his name is, when he's talking about his brother, the camera's actually in the crowd. And mm. you see people's shoulders like they're they're like a couple of people in deep. Uh, watching Finn tell this story about his brother. And it looks really cool. It's like you're actually a part of it. And there's there's so many shots in this movie that are kind of over-the-shoulder shots, uh, whether it's Mike looking at his dad, who's a, a much taller figure, and so the camera angles kind of cheated a little bit into where it looks like he's looking down at his son and that and that Mike is actually looking up at his father. And there's, there's a lot of that, whether it's between uh, Paul Newman's character and Tom Hanks or, or um, you know, the father and son, uh, it looks really, really cool. I definitely dig it. And um, even the, the scenes uh, at the, at, during the wake, uh, there's a lot of dancing going on. And it's a very narrow room. And it looks so crowded, but there's all these people dancing. And there's a, like, a, like a ruckus going on. And it's, it's done so beautiful. And, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but uh, speaking of graphic novels and just how certain things just sort of 
are drawn to your attention on the page, the the glasses, uh, like the drinking glasses, and all the scenes have this extra shine on them, and they look so fucking cool, like a like a like a speakeasy kind of thing, you know, with mm-hmm. low key lighting. But the glasses are always like a focal point in the shot, and it looks fucking badass. So whether they're playing on the piano or they're holding a glass, or there's just glasses on the table. They always just sparkle, and it's so fucking cool. And I think that it was subtle, but uh, genius. Um, yeah, a hundred. That, that was a, that was a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's that's a good point. I mean, we can we can spend probably quite a while talking about this, but I'll just go through mine from specifically from Road to Perdition. But when Daniel Craig gets killed, and uh, you know Connor's or and and uh, Michael's walking out, hits the doorknob uh, with his arm accidentally, and then it just shows we don't get to actually see. Daniel Craig getting shot, it just shows him in the bathtub dead through the reflection. Um, mm-hmm. Conrad Very Hall cool. uses a lot of fun reflections in this, uh, especially probably the one that sticks out the, the most to me is when he just kills Annie and Peter and Michael Jr. is stopped on the on, on the stoop and he looks and sees him face to face. But we think, holy shit, he's staring right at Michael and he's about to kill him. But then it's reverse shot back to Daniel Craig, who is fixing his hair in a reflection. And you're like, holy crap. Right. And that and that goes you. That's happened to all of us every single day where yeah. if, if you look outside your window and it's dark outside, but it's light in your house, all you're seeing is inside your house. You know, mm-hmm. there's that reflection that just comes right back to where you can't see a goddamn thing. So you got to turn off the lights in order to look outside. It's crazy. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So uh, I loved when they get to Chicago and uh, everybody's wearing the, the hats, you know, very, very um, like you're talking about the extras. They're walking through the street and they're walking against traffic, basically. And we just can see Tom Hanks and uh, Michael Jr. walking through the crowd. I thought that was such an awesome scene, especially when they drive into the city. It just seems so grand scale for a a uh, early 20th century um, U.S. that that. The car is still a new thing. It, it was pretty awesome. It showed the grandiose that was Chicago. Um, the reflection at the end of the movie, when when they go to the lake house, uh, when he gets killed, uh, Michael Sr., he's looking out at Michael Jr. and you see the reflection on it and you can clearly see the reflection. But if you you have to like blink and you miss it sort of thing, you have to look in the corner to then see Maguire, Jude Law's character, stand up and shoot him. And you're like, holy shit. Because if you're not paying attention to that, which it is kind of hard to miss, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderfully done. The entire room is white. Obviously it makes sense. It's framed perfectly. That's why he takes a picture of him. So I thought that that was really, really interesting. The diner. So the diner, when he first runs into, to McGuire seems, um, almost ethereal. It's, it's, it's the one place for miles and it looks so tight knit and so claustrophobic that I, I I think it's done very well and it adds to the tension of that scene of the rat that is McGuire trying to hunt down um, Tom Hanks, who Tom Hanks has no idea. He knows something's up, but he has no idea who this guy is. And I think the diner is this kind of weird ethereal uh, set piece that that works really, really well for me. Right. No, so. I agree. And everything from American Beauty to that movie is, is a whole other conversation. Sam Mendes is some of his finest work. Um, just his lighting in that movie is really, really well done. Love it. Uh, cool and Luke has a lot of cool lens flares um, that he experimented with just to kind of show you how hot it was out, out there. Because the, I think it's in Texas, right? So <clears throat> and then um, the famous one from like film class and stuff was from In Cold Blood when Robert Blake is crying and it's uh, he's right next to a window that's raining. I mean, that's 
very, very similar to what we've seen through other movies too, like Blade Runner and whatnot. But yeah, so that's that's what I've seen. Conrad Hall definitely deserved uh, the Oscar for cinematography for Road to Perdition. So I'm glad he won it. May you rest in peace. Good, sir. Mm-hmm. And it's a comic book movie winning Academy Awards. Yeah, there we go. Logan should have won That's not too. Suicide Squad. <laughs> what are we, some kind of Suicide Squad? That's the name of the yeah. movie. <laughs> oh, boy. So I thought it was interesting that Connor died in a bathroom uh, the same way that he murdered Annie and Peter. Did you notice this? And uh, if you did, let's explore a little more because I think that there is something there. Uh, so I don't think I made that connection you know, immediately or anything like that. But one thing that, that is interesting about when you killed in a bathroom is that uh, you're at your most vulnerable when you're in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, you go in, you lock the door. A lot of times, even when you're by yourself, I know some people in, in 2022, people don't you know, have the door open or whatever. It's, it's you do what you got to do, but there is this sort of, uh, sanctity that is the bathroom. It's like an, an Highlander where you don't fight in a church. You know, you're on a holy ground. <laughs> and oh so or like in uh, you mentioned John Wick. There's no there's no fighting at the Continental, right? It's it's hallowed ground, and uh, the bathroom, a lot of ways, feels like that. Where this is just your domain. You close the door, and that's your safe place. And so I do think that you are vulnerable when you're in the bathroom. And in this case, he was in a bathtub. You know, he was naked as the day he was born in a in a in a puddle of water. And so I do think that that was that was pretty fitting for him to get murdered uh, when he was all just like his wife and child were also vulnerable. Uh, they were unable to defend themselves, uh, especially against a horrible man like Connor. Um, and now he is in that same position to where he is in no position to defend himself. And he is a, a cowardly man, and now he can just soak in it. And I think it comes full circle. And I think a, a theme of this film is uh, violence begets more violence, and, and it's violence is a circle. So the actions that you have, like so, if you commit a crime, and then there's revenge that takes place by somebody, and they talk about it with Michael Jr., they're like, "We have to kill him because he's going to come back and he's going to avenge his father." You know, it's it's this vicious cycle of violence, but. I think it's fitting for Connor because he killed two innocent people in a bathroom and then he ends up in with his demise in a bathroom. So I thought that that was on purpose and I, I, I didn't enjoy his death. I don't want, I don't like death, but I, I did enjoy that aspect of it at least. I thought <laughs> it was very log. fitting. I don't have a law. I don't have a log. Yeah. <laughs> the holidays any hooter than they are. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, very interesting. Cool. So Jude Law, he is a pretty handsome man. I'm going to just go ahead and say that. We discussed earlier how this villainy... This is the Jude Law podcast, man. This is, we, we've we've had a so lot of Jude Laws. <laughs> the Holiday, we've done Enemy at the Gates, we've done this. What else have we done? I don't know. I feel like we've done a lot of Jude Law, though. I think we've had four. There's got to be one other one out there that we've done, too. Yes. Uh, so we, dis- we discussed earlier how this villainy was not in his area of expertise. And in this role, he looked absolutely disgusting. He was supposed to be like a rat, basically. What were your thoughts on his appearance? Do you have any other actors who look normal, but certain roles were designed for them to appear gross or off-putting? Sure. Um, yeah, he definitely grossed me out. You know, the first shot of him... Uh, when the, I think he's like under a pier or something, he's walking, looking all gross and hunched his over. Teeth are all nasty and his yeah, nails are long and yeah, not fun to look at. Not a fan. His hair is like real thin. <laughs> yeah, very thin. Right, it's, it's like kind of balding on top. 
Um, yeah, he's he's just one hundred percent gross. Not a fan whatsoever. I I I don't like it. <laughs> As someone that normally enjoys seeing Jude Law on my TV. Uh, definitely had a problem with it. Um, but I mean, as far as other actors, like, I mean, Christian Bale is a good looking guy, but I mean, when you see him in like the machinist or something like that, Ooh, that's yeah. fucking gross, dude, don't like it. Not a fan. Or then go the other way, like, um, vice, right. He's like, he's all heavy set and gross as well. Um, and, but and American uh, hustle, he gets American he gets hustle. Big for that one too. Yeah. Um, but I mean like Tilda Swinton, she's another one, right. Or she can look like a beautiful woman. And then you have her on that train movie where she's yeah. fucking gross to look at. <laughs> what the hell is that movie called again? Uh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's so hard to look at in that movie. She looked rodent-ish, too. Um, definitely looked like a rodent in that movie. Then I hated every second of it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, outside of that movie, she I mean, she's she's a chameleon. You know, she can look like however she wants. Um, and she's she's an incredible actor. Um, but holy smokes, it's I am taken aback in Snowpiercer. Not a fan. Um, but I mean, there's some other people that are just kind of unique looking like Willem Dafoe. He's not like the <laughs> most attractive man. But I mean, he he can look kind of gross at times. And uh, I don't know, man, like especially when he's like upset, like in Boondock Saints, when he's like the, the dressed up as a woman, gross. he he's gross. <laughs> He is like just not fun to look at. Um, but I mean, even someone like Gary Busey, right? Where, you know, 80s Busey, he's a relatively normal looking dude, right? And then something happened to where fast forward <laughs> to today. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just nervous. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. I mean, physical appearances, they are, they are. And, you know, I don't want to be a shallow person by, you know, saying someone is, you know, not attractive or whatever, but everyone has their own little quirks and that they're weird looking. I mean, like, even we joke about Steve Buscemi, right? You know, he's a little guy, kind of funny looking. Kind of funny looking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's not right. <laughs> and he's even like, hey, do I, do I get to wear funny teeth? Are we going to do something with makeup? And they're like, no, I, I think you're cool just the way you are. And he's just like, oh, well, shit. Thanks. Appreciate right. It. Um, I immediately so, yeah. think of like Charlize Theron in Monster, how she right. yeah plays Eileen, Eileen, whatever. Um, just completely like, holy shit. You know, even Christina Ricci, too, uh, in that movie just looks so odd. Gary Oldman, actually, in um, uh, True Romance. He oh, yeah. in, pre- in pretty much a- the pimp. Yeah. In pretty much any movie he does, um, he, he does a pretty good job of being a chameleon actor. But like in Dracula, when he, you know, he plays Dracula, he's he's pretty gross in that movie, too. Um, I think of Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. Obviously, that's a body horror f- film, and Cronenberg is 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 great at those types of movies, but he's pretty disgusting in that, <laughs> especially as his skin starts changing. I'm not yeah. a fan of it. <laughs> They're saying his new movie is supposed to be really gross, too. Oh, Cronenberg's? I'm sure it is. Yeah. I have a hard time. I love Cronenberg, but I, I have a hard time with some of his movies just because it makes me sick. <laughs> it can't be eating no chicken sandwiches while I'm watching it. So. <laughs> yeah. Like when he takes off his fingernails in the fly, that's pretty I, gross. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do fingernails. Any, and when he like vomits on his food, that's pretty gross. Dude. So gross. Uh, <laughs> God. Um, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So those types of roles are, are, are very interesting for me. Even less Grossman. You said him earlier too with Tom Cruise. 
he's just kind of nasty. His like fat knuckles and he just his balding <laughs> head and his, his taco meat chest hair just hanging out. Yeah. He's just a gross guy and, and he's an asshole too. So that's what kind of <laughs> adds to it. But he's, he's sick. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like him. So it's, yeah. it's, it's in, very interesting for sure. But um, yeah, those, so that, that's all I could really think of. Sure. That's a good list. Um, so how did you feel about the ending? Did Tom Hanks need to die? Uh, if if not, how else could it have gone? You know, I, I'm a sucker for a happy ending. So I remember being really bummed out when he didn't make it. Uh, but I think that it's hard for, you know, he, he was a criminal. He killed a lot of people. He did bad things. So it makes sense to, to bookend Michael Jr.'s experience with him to have this death so he can have a fresh start. Like he says, he never he never touched another gun again. Uh, he grew up on this farm with this family that was now going to love him. So it in a storybook sense, you know, it I, I get it. I would have preferred the happily ever after sort of thing and father and son. But um, he made a point of saying that, you know, he his son has a chance of going to heaven kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it would have been hard to do if his son was going to ultimately em- find a way to emulate him. I mean, he almost killed a man right then and there. Obviously, he didn't. He made the choice that he couldn't shoot uh, McGuire, but um, that could have gone two different ways. So um, I, I think it makes sense that he died, but I would have preferred <laughs> a happily ever after uh, with a father and son together. I agree. I, I wanted, especially for what they had gone through and the kid has, he doesn't have any family left. I understand he goes, you know, towards the end and he kind of gets a happy ending. He makes that, that farm family happy. But I mean, in Christianity, perdition is, you know, a state of eternal punishment and damnation into which a sinful and un, unpentant person passes after death. So obviously there's dual meaning with the city being perdition or the, the town being called perdition. But, um, him basically paying for his sins and this is that that road there he has to cleanse cleanse himself of it and cleanse his son of it so he doesn't follow that same path um i i I don't see it going any other way i'm like you i was bummed i was like come on why didn't mcguire why couldn't you just let it go he lost who cares but his face was all messed up so he probably took it personal and it's it's you know he wanted to he wanted to film the infamous uh, Michael Sullivan, and he wanted to take a picture of him dying. So it's <clears throat> it's um, even him himself. He wanted revenge. And look what happened. He got a bullet. Right. And, you know, this movie doesn't have a lot of color in it uh, until the very end when they're at the lake. You know, then you start to see sort of this lush uh, sort of forest behind yeah. them. And, yeah. You know, and really the water and the beach and stuff. Yeah, it, it looked it looked promising. Yeah, it's a very gray toned movie. <laughs> and uh, the the ending there, it is it it's like that little piece of heaven, right? Yeah. Where now all of a sudden it's it's lush and beautiful and a paradise. It's That's not it. it's not monochromatic anymore. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, finally, Tyler Hoechlin, or Hoechlin, I think is how you say his name, he does an adequate job starring as Michael Jr. in this movie. In 2002, he was a kid, and no one really knew who he was. But now, you may easily recognize him as Superman in all of the CW's uh, DC series. So Supergirl, uh, Clark and Lois, I think is what it's called, um, and those other ones. Superman Superman and Lois. Yeah. I think he made like in the flash and whatever, but uh, what other actors can you recall had certain early roles, but didn't break it big until a bit later? 
Yeah, so that's kind of interesting because there's there's a lot. Like Seth Green, you know, he was one that was in 80s commercials for mm. a long time, right? Mm-hmm. All the toys, like He-Man toys and stuff like that. He's, well, if you watch any of those old commercials, it's fucking Seth Green or Star Wars, you know? Um, and then, you know, he become, he obviously was acting his whole life, but, you know, then he became uh, in the 90s, you know, a mainstay in people's yeah. televisions, right? Um, Did you ever see Airborne, the movie Airborne? About rollerblading and, and Seth Green is in it. Uh, uh-uh, I haven't seen it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, Kurt Russell's another one. He was a child actor, and he worked. He's man's been working his entire life, obviously. Yeah. But eventually, you know, he he hit it big. Um, the computer you know, he wore in, tennis shoes or whatever. Yeah, like all his Disney movies <laughs> yeah. and stuff. And you're like, what is all this horrible shit? And then. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, bam, it's like the thing or whatever. Like, Backdraft. Yeah. <laughs> He's putting out fires with an axe. He's crushing it. It's a computer um, that wore boots, fire boots. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, even Henry Cavill, you, uh, like going back to like kind of Monte Cristo, I think uh, oh, about, yeah. about the same year as this movie, right? 2002 or so. And uh, you know, he was very young. Uh, he played uh, Albert Mondego. And... Uh, Fucking, he's also Superman. I was gonna say they both played Superman. Yeah. <laughs> what are the what a coincidence? Yeah, I mean you gotta start somewhere, right? And um, he turned out to be a beautiful man. Love that Henry Cavill. I do love the Henry Cavill there. Yeah, and I look at people like um, Emma Stone, who was in Superbad, and I'm like, oh, she looks, you know, pretty cool. And now she's like a mega huge star. She had some roles after that, but she didn't really hit it big until um, a few films later. And I was like, oh, okay. I remember her from her first role or even Jonah Hill for that matter. Like he was in 40 year old virgin. He had that cameo of the guy, you <laughs> yeah, know, he's like, where, where can I buy these? Yeah. He's like, I'd like to buy these. She's like, well, actually you can't buy them here. He's like, but I want to take them home and wear them. So. Yeah, he's like, I really just want to pay you straight up. You know? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I wish it were that simple. Well, it is. And it's, you know, I just want to give you money so I can take these home and wear them. <laughs> That's so funny. Like between that and then he was in accepted and now he's like a mega huge star. Right. So it's kind of that that same sort of thing um but yeah there are other johnny depp is a good example as well from a nightmare on elm street a lot of people were like well who's who is this kid i just remember him as glenn from a nightmare and then it's like boom now he's one of the biggest stars of the 80s and 90s and still a huge star but uh, it's it's cool to see like his first role i wasn't alive when when nightmare on elm street first came out um amy adams actually in drop dead gorgeous i don't know if you've seen that movie i absolutely love that movie uh, but she's in that one and she plays the cheerleader girlfriend. And I remember I was watching it not too long ago. I'm like, I forgot about Amy Adams. This was the first time that I saw her. I remember now um, Scarlett Johansson. She was in movies like eight legged freaks and some other stuff when she was like younger. And now she's like beautiful goddess, amazing actress sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a ton that are, are, are like that. And I thought it was really interesting, but the entire time I was watching road to Perdition, I'm like, isn't that Superman? And I had to go check it out. I'm like, it is. It's the Superman yeah. guy. He's got the unibrow. Amy Adams was also in um, Charmed and uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I didn't watch Charmed or yeah. Buffy. Oh, I love Buffy. Oh, my gosh. Love the Buffy. But yeah, just like one episode type roles, you know? Yeah, for sure. Crazy. But um, otherwise, that's all I really have to say about Road to Perdition. So if you have anything else you want to share your thoughts. And then also, what is your letter grade? Um, yeah, so I wrote to Perdition. It's like I said, I hadn't seen it since it came out, and it was fun to rewatch it uh, with sort of a old man lens. You know, I was a I was a kid. I was twenty two when it came out for crying out loud, and um, 
you know, I was I was going to film school at the time, so it was fun to to watch this movie from a technical standpoint. But uh, just sort of revisiting it now, twenty years later, my goodness, um, it was definitely fun. Um, it's it's an interesting movie. Uh, I don't think it has any pacing problems whatsoever. I mean, it is a two hour movie, but like I said, I didn't feel like two hours at all when I was watching it. Um, it, it has sort of the cat and mouse um, vibe to it, but I feel like. Sullivan is in control the entire time, which is really weird for a cat and mouse movie. It's almost like he is fucking uh, Jerry and he's given Tom a run for his money. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's just like he he's he is a, a mouse that is outwitting the cat and um, he is in control uh, almost the entire time, which I think is, is pretty rare. And it was fun to watch. And um I don't know. I, I dig it, and just watching, like seeing, like the lighting that I didn't, I probably didn't notice twenty years ago with the with the, with the glasses and everything, and and just all the different extras. Uh, it's pretty rare to see movies with so many extras these days. Everything is just like all computer generated, and it's you don't really notice things like that. But in a movie like this, where you have to kind of go back to just sort of practical effects and have a big room and cram all these people in there and make it work. Uh, I think that they did a really, really good job. And Sam Mendes is an incredible filmmaker. Skyfalls is probably at the top of people's list when it comes to like best Bond movies of all time. Um, not my personal favorite, but I recognize that it is an incredible movie. Um, and Spectre I'm, is your favorite. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> um, but I don't think that we have seen the end of Sam Mendes. I think that he still has a lot to offer and, and, you know, whatever 20 years down the line 30 years down the line uh college students are going to be studying his movies and saying how amazing that they are and and like 1917 that's another one where mm-hmm. it looks like it's just like a one-shot movie that's fucking nuts dude um the guy the guy's got a lot of tricks and people can learn uh, um a lot from him i think he brings a lot to the table and um this movie for me uh you know i'm a sucker for the gangster movies and this does feel like a love letter to those those old gangster flicks um you know i, I would probably give this movie a b plus uh it's not an a for me but it's it's close it's definitely a lot of fun um i just don't think it has the the witty the witty banter i think that's what it's missing uh in, a, in an era where we're Americans spoke a little bit differently. I don't think we catch it in in this movie. I think it's it's missing the fun witty banner. And I think that something like Godfather and Goodfellas and Casino, they have that. This movie doesn't have time for those conversations maybe, and that's probably part of the problem. But I think that having someone like Paul Newman and and Tom Hanks on screen together and they really only share like two scenes, it's it's not enough. And I think that there's a missed opportunity there. Yeah, I agree. That's very well said. Yeah. Um, I think of when I think of these 1920s gangster eras, I'm like, wise guy, eh? See? I feel like a lot yeah. of that could be said, but um, I can, I, I get what you're kind of saying with it. For me, it's a B minus. I like it. I don't think it's the best from Tom Hanks. I don't think it's the best from Sam Mendes. I can appreciate the beauty of it. And I actually think I appreciated it more than um, I appreciate it more as this discussion went on, because I was actually probably going to give it a C plus. I just it doesn't re- it didn't really do anything for me. But I think talking with you, it made a little more sense. And, and B minus is um, is probably more fitting for this role. So or for this film. But that's um that's pretty much all I have, man. Cool. So you ready to uh, ready to leave? 
Yeah, I'm uh, I am ill. I need to go lay down. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me on that. License to ill. Yeah. What's the time? It's time to get ill. There you go. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Just please make sure that it is streaming in the U.S. and of A. Um, Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app, and Spotify does ratings now. So if you really want to dig into our category and listen to Con Air, uh, go to Spotify, listen to us, and give us a five-star rating. It really, really helps. Five stars. You can listen to Con Air five times, and you can watch it ten times because it's that good. So thank you for listening, and please don't be crazy. Uh, real quick, uh, last week's episode was our 150th episode, so yay for that. thank you for sticking around. If you listen to all of them, you're fantastic. If you haven't, I don't know what you're doing. Hang <laughs> up and listen to all of them. It's only yes. 150. Um, so you all yay. made a good decision. The rest of you, <laughs> I hope yeah. you die. He's like, but you have my card, so <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. So uh, thank you for listening. That's crazy. I can't believe it's been 150 episodes, and uh, I'm very proud of this show. So thank you, Zach. Thank you, listeners. And uh, thanks so much.